Welcome to Across the Ring. My name is William Mayhem Michael. And I'm here as well, the scientist Carl Schupfer. Our first guest on the show is at Hasbro WWE on Instagram. Hey, Scott, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm doing very good today. Um, so, Scott, I know that you got into uh, pro wrestling when you were younger. Um, how old were you when you got into the world of pro wrestling? My grandfather started showing me showing me wrestling when I was like six or seven, and it just kind of enveloped my life. Like I just loved how everyone, the matches, the bigger than life talent, and it just kind of sparked the I can do this to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely got that. Like uh, I was the same as you. I, I started. I was sitting on my grandpa's knee, right, watching WWF back then. It was probably 1989, so a couple of years back. Yeah, it was um, mine was about 87. Yeah, yeah. So Hulk Hogan era. Yeah, he brought me in like right when like the Heart Foundation was still the black and blue gear, just laying on the floor, and he's watching wrestling. Yeah, I think you guys are a bit older than me. I think my uh, my introduction to wrestling was more around the uh, the new generation with uh, Bret Hart and all them. Oh, getting into like uh, Attitude Era, WCW, WWF yeah. Wars. Yeah, yeah, some of that as well. Yeah, I was uh, I was a '91 baby, so I, I wasn't quite <laughs> able to catch the '80s. Yeah, back when it was hidden that you liked wrestling before everyone's like, "Oh, it's so cool now." Yeah, yeah. I it well, it, you know, but it kind of went back and forth, right? Like it wasn't yeah. cool, then it was cool, and now it's not cool all over again. Yeah, cycles. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely cycles. Sure. Yeah. Who were some of your idols that you were into while you were growing up? Growing up, I really kind of connected with people like Dynamite Kid, Bret Hart, Tito Santana, R- Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson. The ones that were more of a technical wrestler, the ones that like arm like, drag. Like your Dean Malenko's. Like a Dean Malenko or yeah. the Chris that nobody talks about. Yeah, I, w- I was kind of right there with you as far as idols, but I was really big into like the luchadors as well. When WCW really started bringing in like the Chris Jericho's, the Psychosis, the Juventud Guerrero's, and guys like that, I really enjoyed, even though they have very small spots. In WCW, I, I really enjoyed those, but I enjoyed the technical wrestlers as well. Yeah, it just brought a new like taste to it, so it gives more people to watch, like the High Flyers, the Technicos. With the, uh, you know, we can see, you know, in your room, you got a lot of memorabilia. With some of those idols, what was like your first shirt or poster or whatever um, among those idols? Uh, my first shirt I can remember having was this Ultimate Warrior shirt my parents gave me because it pops up as a photo from my parents at a Universal Studios with a Marilyn Monroe lookalike. And I completely forgot I had that shirt until I saw the photo and I went, oh, I wish I still had that. It's not going to fit, <laughs> but I wish I had it. I think my first uh, WWE, like, well, not even WWE, WCW because during the Monday Night Wars, before it really even started, I was a big WCW guy because I always liked the underdog. WCW, TNA, NWA, I was always rooting for the underdog, which my brother was the complete opposite. My first one, my dad got me a Jericho-holic t-shirt, um, nice. which, was, which was really cool. I wish I still had that. I think I was a size medium. What about you, Carl? Uh, I think my first shirt was actually... Uh... A TNA Mick Foley t-shirt that I got while at a taping in Universal Studios. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was cleaning out a box and I found a shirt from when I worked for TNA helping with merch. It's a size medium. That's not going <laughs> to fit me. <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't even know that you you work with merch in TNA. That's pretty cool. I mean, 
you're pretty well-rounded. And I know with all the shows we're going to do with you, we're going to kind of explore a lot of that. But that's really cool. Yeah, it was just like one of those like random fluke. Jeff Jared needed someone to help with a booth. I said, I'll do it. And that handed me Jeremy Borash's card. And that kind of just started that relationship. Nice. I remember seeing Jeremy Borash. I think I told you this story, Carl, but uh, my first TNA show, I almost got in a fight with Jeff Jarrett. Like I was down the ramp. Like I was in that corner seat right at the ramp and the ring, which is, I feel like the best seat in the house. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett's coming down the ramp and he was a heel at the time. And I started screaming. So I don't even know what it was. I was screaming at him. And he got up in my face, like this close. And he's like, shut up, you fat fuck. And da 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 you know? I mean, and we were just screaming at each other. And he's like, I'll meet you after the show. And I'm like, hell yeah. But uh, so I know that you got into pro wrestling and started training really young. When you got into training in pro wrestling, where did you train and who was your trainer? Um, I'll kind of roll it back a little bit. Where I put my pro wrestling training is I was a collegiate wrestler because I always heard people say, do this. It's going to help you when you actually get to the point of working out in the rings. Mm-hmm. You learn your body. You learn everything else. So I started collegiate wrestling when I was 15 okay. and about 16, 17 started to jump into the ring side mm-hmm. and about 19 is was full force because in the U.S., 18 is the legal age to be able to do it. A lot of people would go down to Mexico where it's I think it's 16 or 15 and just kind of pop over the border. Like I lived in San Diego, so it was easy drive down, drive back. So try to when you say stuff. that uh, when you say that you were doing collegiate wrestling, was that through like a, a club or was that through like your high school or it started junior high, then high school stuff like that and pro wrestling was kind of the naughty word in the room Absolutely. like if right. even i mentioned to my coach i'm gonna go meet kurt angle and he's just like oh what is he doing and i told him and he gave me the look that made me go i'm running laps aren't i <laughs> <laughs> i definitely get it that's kind of like the whole room though when you get into collegiate wrestling yeah and the thing that always would always baffle me is we get to the end of season and then they'd be like oh we're gonna put on professional wrestling matches inside of here and i would watch them out of the corner of my eye and go you're doing that wrong by the way but stop (laughs) yeah absolutely and you know um another thing i think that a lot of wrestlers are doing now they're getting into brazilian jiu-jitsu because it yeah that is kind of the same aspect you really get to know your body and what movements kind of fit well however mma as we have noticed doesn't always (sighs) cross over well into pro wrestling yeah, I've seen um, I've seen some where I just watch <laughs> them going, oh, he's going to hit you in the face. I don't know what he tells you, but he's going to. Be- and then they come back broken nose, just like mm-hmm. told you <laughs> real shoot, real shoot wrestling there. Like, oh, come on. No. So, uh, yeah, we, you said you talked about, you know, you know, high school, middle school doing this wrestling and you transferred over to, you know, getting into uh, wrestling school mm-hmm. uh, once you turned 18. Where, where'd you end up? You know, how was that transition going from, you know, doing more of like a amateur style uh, wrestling to, you know, moving into you know the world of professional wrestling? I will say doing the collegiate was such a big help to it because you're already conditioned for stamina for like long matches. So I started kind of in San Diego, but I just kind of, whenever I get a chance to jump in a ring or go to work on another show, I always picked everyone's brains. So I've had the chance to like work out with the Armstrongs, Marty Jannetty, Buff Bagwell, uh, Umaga. The first time he got let go, I was able to work with him some. It was just whoever I could get the knowledge from, I would try. So was this during like mid, late 1990s? 
It was towards mm-hmm. like the 97, 98. The Marty stuff was a little yeah. bit in the 2000s. That's going to be a fun mm-hmm. story down the road. Awesome. But yeah, it was just whoever I could pick brains on or just get in to figure out what is I could do something better or what's wrong or what do you think of that? And then getting torn down, but then getting built up because, hey, this is going to be better next time. Yeah, because that's what it's all about. You, you need that structural like criticism. You need to yeah. know what you're not doing correctly so you can fix it to yeah. get better. When you were training, and I know with a lot of pro wrestlers, that's actually the thing because, you know, a lot of not so great stuff happened. I think uh, a lot of us have heard some stories, um, especially with NXT when it got around. Mine is more on the side of, you heard people say, if you're going to get trained, get trained by somebody who has done something in the business. Yeah, It would just happen to be, oh, here's a local guy. I can get into this. Mm-hmm. I think I spent more time sitting on an apron watching them drink beer than actually learning anything. So it's just one of those, I'm going to go to someone who wants to put in time and stuff like that. So uh, when you did get into pro wrestling, what was your first ring name? When I first got in, my name was Sugar Sean Douglas. For some reason, I took Shane Helms and Shane Douglas, <laughs> stuck them together. That lasted about two days before someone told me, pick something completely different. You're a dumbass. And my signature even looked like Shane Douglas's for one second. And they're like, oh, stop that. God. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, it was more God. of, we'll we'll pick you a name. And then they gave me a vampire name of Lucian. Oh, that could have been the most far away thing. I was just like, this isn't working. Yeah. And then it yeah. slowly transitioned into what my final name was, which was Luke Michaels, which was more of me, more just my kind of punk rebellious side, just what draws better out of me because it's a lot easier to be yourself than to be somebody else. Yeah, that's who you connected with. Yeah. It's like yeah. trying to say... We're going to have Santino Morella beat Brock Lesnar. Really? <laughs> yeah. Looking at the current product, when you bring that up, that's when we had Kofi Kingston after he won WrestleMania, and then he had to fight Brock Lesnar, and then that was the total squash job. Which yeah. I don't think should ever happen to a world champion. But uh, Yeah, that's one of the things I kind of think is missing, is the what just happened moment where all of a sudden someone random who we don't even think could be the would be the world champion, something happens, and you're like, wait a minute, what just happened? Oh, kind of like when we thought that Santino Morella won the uh, Royal Rumble. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, what just happened? And then, nope, it didn't. Yeah, I remember like going yeah. to live events and you would see like Legion of Doom come out as the tag champs and you're going, but you weren't the champs. Oh, they won them last night in Laredo, Texas. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's great. <laughs> during, a, during a house show. Back when they used to do like title swaps at house shows. Just kind of kept it interesting and fun. Where if you're like, oh, I fell asleep. Well, you missed something. I know that we talked a little bit before about you going to Mexico at a at a young age for pro wrestling. What was that like for you? Very hush hush. Like I had a friend who he had his license before me and it was our drive down. So you would get down to the border, you would cross over and then hopefully try to take a ca- taxi to the arena in Tijuana to go see shows. And then try to make it all the way back and then back over. First couple times, you're kind of like quiet. Keep keep your hands to yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't say anything. And you see lucha masks and magazines everywhere. And you're like, I got to pick that up. And it's no, don't do not do that. And it's just over time, it gets easier. And you're like, oh, walk through back and yeah. forth. It's one of the things I kept trying to go down there. But the language barrier would be issue sometimes. Yeah. So I started watching. Like I would come back with VHS tapes and watch and watch and watch. Or if people had 
training tapes. I'd watch it and just kind of go through their routines. Yeah. Are any of those uh are any of those tapes that you're talking about memorable? You know, that were like these really stood out for you? Um, I remember getting one that was from Rey Mysterio Sr. It was an old VHS tape and I didn't didn't understand what they're saying, but I could get through and I had a friend who was like, you know, they're talking about how hard that actual mat is. And I found out that it's the same mat they've had for years and it's petrified. So it's like stone. And I'm like, I am so glad I didn't go on that way. I couldn't even imagine. That's like going straight to the concrete floor, but in a regular wrestling mat. It was ones where I've talked to people who've gone through that ring and they go bumping on cement was so much nicer. That's insane. (laughs) So uh, what would you say is uh, some of your crazy experiences during your time in Mexico? A lot of it is more of the stuff that you would as we get used to just like hanging out and talking to people oh yeah i'll go do this with them where it's that's not a good idea in hindsight and it might be something where as you're walking out they're trying to sell you something and your wallet gets stolen or uh you go down you go to cut down an alley and i've heard of people who try to cut down an alley and their friend got stabbed just all different random stuff that i'm like all right that's why i'm just going from point a to point b there's no detours just you as you go you learn more and you're like all right Mm -hmm. I understand why not to go over onto that side, right. but it's an experience because you see wrestling from a completely different perspective where you have a building full of people and it's language barrier, but you're watching some of the best talent in the world and you're trying to get whatever you can from them. And why is it doing this? And you see like how mats, like masks and stuff are done. Yeah. And you realize how much more for those talents that it's, it is to wear that. And it kind of makes you a little bit better because you learn how to see without having great peripheral vision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that totally makes sense. I mean, I've never been in Mexico and been to a wrestling match. That's something that's definitely on the bucket list along with going to um, the Tokyo Dome. That's something I've always yeah, that's, wanted to do. That's one too. Like I've always wanted to do it and it's like, I'm going to do it this year. And then something happens and I can't go, can't go. But I know there's our companies that do like full travel travel packages, which is nice. So it's like if get your flight, hotel, everything else. Yeah, I think that's the way to do it. You know, have it have it all set up, you know, kind of cohesively put together for a trip, make it nice and mm-hmm. quick in and out. You know, I think that's that's kind of the way to go there as opposed to trying to figure figure out all these, you know, foreign websites or whatever to try to get on top of making a trip out there. Yeah. And I remember the one guy who used to do them had friendship with a bunch of the wrestlers. So he'd take you to like the wrestlers restaurants and their stores. Like he'd give you an all around, like he would take the app, like that he does their access, mm-hmm. but he would make it a new Japan thing where you met all the wrestlers, but at like, you go to like Suzuki store or Shibata's restaurant, stuff like that. And I've always heard people say it was great. I know that we we talked before um, because we met on we all three met on the Jericho cruise. Yes. 2023 is a good time. But uh, when we were talking, I know that you said that you got signed to the WCW power plant. Can you tell our listeners what that was like for you? That was one of the weirdest things because it was, hey, we'd like you to come up to the power plant. We're going to do all this. Hey, this is when we want you to come. WWE just bought WCW power plant does not exist. It was towards the very end. Like, Oh, I can't wait to do this. Get ready. Let's go. And then, yeah, does the bill. We're not doing this anymore. And from some of the people I've talked to, towards the end the power plant was not a good place to be Mm. it would be a different building a couple times where oh no we're not here we're five miles down to do this and i kind of wish i could have gone through just to go through their training but i don't know where that would have gone from there like if it would have been a sit at home for a long time or 
what, and the more you find out about it, you're like, oh, not everyone there is under contract to WCW. They're paying to be there. It's just stuff like that. Holy crap, I didn't even know they were doing that. Yeah, a lot of it was, originally it was like a wrestling school. People would come, sign up, and then go through it. And then they would have people like, hey, we're interested in you. We want to bring you up for developmental. You'll come here and you'll train. And I think some of the talent that made it to WCW wasn't talent that they had originally looked out for that just showed up to be a wrestler. I think Van Hammer might have been one of them. How uh, how far into the commitment were you? Like, had you made you know moved out there, uh, or it was getting ready to? Like, it was one of those. Hey, we want you to come. We'll send you the stuff. A couple of weeks went by, month went by. Hey, what's going on with this? Oh, we got you. We got you. Uh, we don't exist anymore. Wow. A lot of yeah. I've heard. I've talked to a lot of people who've been through stuff where it's hey, we've gotten a contract sent to you. It's coming out next week. They never get it. They never get it. Three months later, oh, we'll get back with you in a little bit and just right, back and forth. Giving you kind of the runaround. Yeah, like, hey, we want you, but uh, we're not ready to like kind of do stuff. It was during the time when they were trying to just get all the talent that they could to hopefully block other companies from having them and stuff like that. Right. It almost sounds kind of like, uh, you know, in, in like the corporate world, when you hear about like hiring freezes and stuff like that, where recruiters will be calling up people trying to get them jobs. And then, oh, uh, well, you know, hang tight. You know, we need a budget or we need this. And then all of a sudden it just kind of falls through. Part of me wishes I could have gotten at least the paperwork and then got told we're not doing this so I could have it as like, here, this is what it looks like. Because I love seeing contracts from talent that have never gone through. And you look at it and go, oh, I'm so glad I didn't do that because... <laughs> I'd be right. making less now than I do working at a at a grocery store, stuff like right. that. Right. Yeah, because I, I know back in them days when you were first starting out, it was you had to work another job just to survive. Oh, I was always told three years starting and then maybe you'll get some stuff. I mean, I've made dri- try I've driven t- to shows and gotten a hot dog and a handshake. It's the running joke in wrestling is a hot dog and a handshake. Oh, drive 400 miles. Here's a Coke. And you're like, all right, there's four of us in the car. Yeah. We need more than this. And it it's just where your determination comes in. Like, are you still willing to do this before you can actually get money? I was going to say, when you run into, you know, different, you know, small promotions like that, that end up, you know, not having the funds or whatever it is to be able to, you know, pay wrestlers like that and you end up getting something, you know, like you said, like a hot dog. Uh, after an interaction like that, is that, you know, something where you you kind of take that that promotion off your list of, you know, guys that you're going to work with, uh, especially, mm-hmm. you know, early on? Or do you just kind of go, you know, wherever the next match is? It's when you first start, it's you're trying to get as much mat time as you can, wherever you can. They might be the one that constantly wants to bring you in. Well, I'll take the mat time until it gets to the point where, hey, if you want me to bring me again, you got to give me money. There are still some promoters that owe me money that... Uh, their companies are no longer in business. I know I'm never going to see that, but it gave me the mad time. It's not to say it's like a kick in the nuts. Like you're like, all right, cool. I'm going to go beat myself up and then drive three hours back home. And I had a hot dog. That was it. Hot dogs not putting gas in my tank. But it also was at a time where we were still on VHS and the internet wasn't as popular as it is now. So to work another show would literally have a talent from them being like, hey, are you free this day? Can you come? Sure. Or let me send my VHS tape out. Let me see if I can get three VCRs so I can take matches from this company, this company, this company, put it on a cassette. Where did my cassette go? Uh, me and my friends got real big into um, backyard wrestling. Do you remember those VHSs? Oh, I remember those. And starting, I had some friends who we had a trampoline league. 
Oh yeah, just like the Hardys, huh? <laughs> oh, not. I wish it was like the Hardys. Oh, the Hardys really expanded <laughs> on that. I think that's really how they got their foot in the door for WWF at that time, wasn't it? Yeah, it's each people have their own ways to getting here, mm-hmm. but it's some we kind of go. Oh, don't do that. But it's like, uh, can't really. Don't try this at home. We know you are, but. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've come across a lot of people that will join a school and they'll be there for like two, three days and then go, this is not what I thought it was and gone. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Then, it's no yeah. joke. Or you get the one guy in there who comes in and your first thought is, oh, he's not going to make it. And then you're like, he's the only one that graduated from this school. Good for him. <laughs> good for him yeah but it also teaches you like life skills like i have friends who their kids are rowdy before bed they're like i don't know what to do i'm like hindu squats <laughs> yeah and we did it once to my niece anytime i say that word she goes i'm going to bed well uh carl you got anything to add uh we're getting down to the wire here i think we got to save some of these for the next one yeah that's so. that's what i'm thinking so uh if you guys liked what you heard on this show i I ask that you please tune in again. We are across the ring. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, TikTok. And uh, we're also looking at Spotify, Apple, and everything for our actual audio for podcasts. Anything else you got to add? Tune in for more. We'll be picking this up with the next episode. If you like where the story is going right now, uh, it's only going to get more interesting from here. Hasbro WWE, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, bro. 